friends and enemies, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast giving you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. From the center, I am your podcast host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have on my left your good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. Greetings. And your evil podcast host, Joshua Death. How you guys doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing okay. I got some sleep. Life is better. Plus. Sleep does make things better. I'd say I want to have a whole episode on how to sleep at tournaments, but that's probably not for most people. <laughs> I don't think that's really an episode that falls under the purview of our podcast. Uh, I think if we start straying into topics of how to make yourself a better person, then we might be a little off mission. Well, and we already know that Josh is the most evil person on the planet, so that's not going to be intrinsically helpful either. Hands down. It's the only reason I'm still alive. Satan's afraid I'm going to take over. <laughs> Someone's got to be. <laughs> yeah. So how are all you guys looking for LVO? Is everyone excited for the whole end of this tournament season? Stress. Yeah. Building models like a madwoman? <laughs> Stressed, I think, is a good way to cover a lot of people. Uh, everyone is frantically scrambling to figure out where the meta's going to be at and what they're going to bring and how they're going to get it there. Well, I'm expanding my Battle Sisters list, and I don't have enough models, so I'm like, ah, sisters, building sisters, oh god. Yeah, it turns out most people didn't have all that many Sisters of Battle, but they're suddenly good again. The Codex is legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might see them in the top eight. They're it's possible. They're not bad. I don't think they're going to be a primary army, but I think they're going to be a secondary army for a decent number of people. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Josh, have you managed to settle yourself on anything? Oh, I'm getting so close. I I really think there's going to be some kind of guard in there, just because they're just they're too good right now. I just don't know what I you know guard from here like Grey Knights for Shaylin. There's going to be guard. I just don't know what they're going to be paired with. <laughs> <laughs> They might be dance partners with knights, or they may just be the loyal 32. I don't know yet. Well, I mean, that is the great thing about being Imperium, is you get all kinds of alliance options. And you can do a billion permutations of your list. It's kind of like being Santa Claus at a dessert buffet, though. It's just so hard to pick. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Secret, Grey Knights are not good coming out of chapter approved, so don't use them. (laughs) Unless you're me. But, Shaylin, you're using them. I am a mad woman. Oh, that's fair. No, I think I've I've gone for Tau. I, with all the changes from Chapter Approved, they're just, they're good enough that I don't feel bad about using them, and I got a shot that, at that best of Tau player this year, so I figure I may as well take it. Yep. Besides, you get to watch them squeak when they die. They don't squeak when they die. They, they totally do. They cry out piteously for mercy. <laughs> it's squeaking. Well, our subject for the episode this week is saturation, threats, and targets. Uh, And the reason I named the episode this, since I was the one who kind of picks that sort of thing, I put the the outline out to to the two of you, is I think that there's a difference when you're building a list between putting a threat in a list and putting a target in a list. And it can be the same unit in different lists, depending on what they are. Exactly. Um, it's the reason I don't want Grandmasters, because Grandmasters become targets uh, rather you than mean being a Grandmaster threat. Grandmaster Dreadknights? 
Yes, Dreadnoughts. Yes. I forgot a word uh, in that sentence. Shaylin tends to run with the, the more infantry-oriented uh, versions of the Grey Knight lists. Uh, and although she was running the, the Grandmaster Dreadnoughts earlier in some of the versions, she eventually ended up taking them out. Because there was, they had this weird habit that even though they had a three-up invuln, they would die. It's like people kept putting las guns into the side of them until something happened. I like this plan. Yeah, well, las guns and las cannons <laughs> and just about every other gun under the sun. Yeah. Uh, they're only T6, they're actually highly killable. <laughs> yes. And that kind of illustrates the the issue, because it wasn't that Grandmaster Dread Knights are bad, or that they aren't tough, because they are. You know, mm-hmm. Two-up armor, three-up involve with toughness six and twelve wounds is really tough to break down. But you couldn't bring more than two of them. You couldn't bring more than two of them, and in a meta that's, like, capable of taking down Castellans, Grandmaster Dreadnought is trivial in comparison to a Castellan. And not just that, but also, you didn't have any other targets their size in your list. Everything else in the army was just Toughness 4 infantry. Yep. And I think that really hits home the point of the difference between a target and a threat. We will be talking about, obviously, as we just did, unit synergies within the list. Well, that's sort of the fundament of the whole thing. A target is just sitting there on its own. When you take one Lehman Russ or one Dread Knight or a single monstrous creature, or even it works the other way around with infantry, too. If all you've got is ten Kabbalite warriors in your entire army and everything else is inside a vehicle... Guess what? Those Kabbalite warriors are dead. Whereas threats are things where you've put so many of them on the field. You've got you've achieved that level of saturation of a particular type of target that your opponent can't just kill them all. Mm-hmm. And that's the really distinct difference between the two, is do you have enough of that thing on the field that your opponent doesn't have the guns to easily deal with it. Yeah. And that's the current concept we really want to drive home here. Mm-hmm. Because it's all about how many do you bring and how many is enough. It's This is a, a concept that uh, some of you may have heard from various sources. I know it's used in the, the, the actual professional military, uh, as well as in wargaming circles and other places, the idea of mass... Uh, whether you have a certain number of something that are achieving their goals quickly enough to thwart the enemy. And if we're talking about saturation, then mass is kind of like fundamental to that, is how many did you bring and what are they doing to the enemy? Hey, Josh, you're a vet. Can you tell us a little bit more about mass? <laughs> is that is that a concept that you were experienced and familiar with? I'm not really sure where you're, you're military. I I wish I wish I was. Unfortunately, my entire area of focus in the military was counterterrorism, which at that point it would everything I did would be more applicable to a kill team game than it would be to a forty k game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty different kind of battle experience, right there. But you still have a lot of experience with mass in forty k, though. True, true. The one thing I will I will give is. Mass in form of actual presence, 
versus threat level are two very, very different and drastically, drastically different things. Absolutely. Prime example is the early 8th edition, the uh, Malefic Lords. That's prime example, okay, where you had five or six models, tiny little 25 millimeter, probably barely two inch tall models. Mm. But the mass of that little group of guys walking up the table, the threat level that that little group of five little models created was massive, huge. Mm-hmm. It would your enti- whole armies would have to move, deploy, and play around these five models, and that that by definition that is mass. Yes, and that is mass in 40k. And if you can learn how to utilize that mass, even more the perception of that mass. That's really so much more valuable because if you can force your opponent or get your opponent to perceive something to be more or worse than it actually is, mm-hmm. you're making 100 points count as 500. It's more of a threat. It's more scary. It's more damaging. And so all of a sudden, they're going to go for it. Why? Because, oh, that's a big, scary thing, and I need to go deal with it, when in reality, it may not be, and that just works that much more to your benefit. So really and truly, the perception of mass is really the big one for me. Mm-hmm. Another related concept that I think we should uh, at least touch on very quickly here is redundancy. Uh, redundancy is not the same as saturation, but it it works through a lot of the same methods, and you achieve it with a lot of the, the same sort of units and ways. That saturation tends to be more about what your opponent has, or what your opponent can deal with, whereas redundancy is what, what the tools you have available. Uh, but if you have saturation, you probably have redundancy as well. Yes. The uh, way I look at saturation is you have enough of something to do the job, and stay around long enough to do that job mm-hmm. and can weigh in on your opponent. That's saturation. Redundancy is just basically, I do the job and that's that's enough. Saturation is, is the push on the opponent. That's the difference between the two. Yes, uh, and I think that is pretty key because as Josh mentioned, it's not just about what what you actually have on the table. It's about what your opponent perceives about what you have on the table uh, and whether they're going to regard it as threats, as something that will disrupt their game plan, and something that they have to deal with, whether it is or not. It's whether they perceive it that way. Yep. Um, and also what tools they have available, as well as what you're bringing. Because we've been talking about saturation, but I don't. we haven't really defined it yet. No. Chewin, do you want to try and give us a, a definition for what you would call saturation? Sure. Saturation is, as I was saying earlier, having enough of a type of unit or solution, really. Enough of a solution to weigh into your opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, and often overwhelm them. Yes, because that is what you're looking to do. Yes, overwhelming is the key aspect of saturation that defines it differently than redundancy. Redundancy is enough to solve the problem. Saturation is enough to overwhelm the problem. I would say the other very important aspect of that is you you said of a of a type of thing. Um, saturation can often be achieved by combining several similar units together. Yes. Whereas redundancy tends to be multiples of the same thing. Um, yeah. So to give some more concrete examples, because we've been pretty abstract up to this point, 
Um, I know a list that Shaylin has faced in the past and has struggled with is the uh, well-known Nine Carnifexes list. Uh, uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of monstrous creatures to deal with. That is saturated. So, yes, you have brought so many of them to the table that your opponent will struggle. Um, a more common modern version is Nine Talos. Uh, we've seen that go all the way to the top tables in some of the tournaments here. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a similar idea. With the release of the Orc Codex, we're starting to see lists that try to saturate bodies in a lot of cases. Uh, many Orc lists are bringing 150, 200 bodies to the table. And that is also a form of achieving saturation. And then you have uh, the concept of threat overload is a list building concept that is often used is when you have saturated so many threats, your opponent can't well pick targets. Right. Um, Because they're they're basically choosing bad decisions. Right. Uh, Saturation 10 units that go for saturation tend to be fairly offensive in nature. Uh, you're, like Shaylin said, you're trying to overwhelm your opponent by forcing a whole bunch of things on them. Um, you'll see this with knight lists also. Uh, if you bring those three or four or five knights to the table, then it can be really hard to kill all of them, especially if they're backed up by something else, because what you'll often see is uh, three knights that are sort of pushing forward and becoming threats, and then you'll see some dorky little guys hiding in the background who are doing all the work of holding objectives and stuff like that. Uh, and if you can keep all your opponents' attention on those knights, like Josh said, make them see the threat in the knights and have to worry about them and spend all their effort on them, those little guys in the background, they win you the game. Yes. Uh, this was something I alluded to, I believe, in the list-building episode as well, is units that have jobs just to sit there in the back... One of the ways they stay alive is because you've thrown a threat in someone's face that they have to address first. Exactly. That um, is a, a huge, remarkably powerful defensive tactic. Yeah. I, that's what I build my lists around. Well, distracting your opponent with the units they have to deal with and then using the units they are ignoring to do other things is a very common strategy. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the types of units and the types of guns that you typically saturate with or against. Uh, Because I would say there are four, maybe five types of units in the game when you really get down to it, and that almost every unit can be broken down into one of those, let's say, five. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious whether you guys are with me on this one. (laughs) I would say that the, the five units in the game are the Guardsman, mm-hmm. your Toughness 3, 5-up armor, mm-hmm. the Space Marine, Toughness 4, 3-up armor. Okay. Might have a second wound, doesn't really change things much. No. Your Land Speeder or other light vehicle, uh, which also covers heavy infantry units like Ogryn or Grotesques or things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, your Toughness 5, 4-up or 3-up armor. Mm-hmm. Your standard Rhino chassis, Toughness 7, 3-up armor. Mm-hmm. And your Knight chassis, Toughness 8, 3-up armor, and some form of invuln, at least a 5-up, often a 4 or a 3. Okay. I think that covers almost every unit in the game uh, and for, in terms of defensive capabilities. And when I think about what my guns can do and what the enemy guns are going to do to me, um, that's how I tend to think about pretty much all the units in the game. I agree with that number, that set. Josh, do you have anything you think is uh, 
fallen outside that realm, or are you pretty much in line with it? Pretty well hits the the majority of what you're going to see, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, I do have one thing that might be considered in this is something like a Custodes that is a super high armor, decent wound count, elite target with high, abnormally true. high toughness. Uh, I often tend to count those in with the Augurin slash Landspeeder, because they have that toughness 5, they are a better armor save, but uh, mm-hmm. they're not fundamentally different, but you could argue that they, they are a little bit different from the others. Notably because they have an invul, basically. That's it's the true. only reason I'd give them a, their own spot. Um... But, you know, by and large, that, I think, covers most of the units in the game. And those are the profiles you'll see again and again and again. Uh, And on the flip side, there's just a handful of weapon profiles that you tend to see in the game. Um, There's more variability in weapon profiles, I would argue. But uh, you still typically see your bolt guns and your las guns, Mm -hmm. your sort of medium-level, like, heavy bolters and scatter lasers... Your sort of like light heavyweight stuff like plasma guns, and then your real heavyweight stuff like las cannons, mm-hmm. um, and that that tends to cover a lot of the weapons in the game. Um, yes, and each of those guns kind of lines up against one or more of the targets that they are going to be good against. Yes. Uh, And that is kind of the essence of saturation, is this rock-paper-scissors game. How many of each of those guns did you bring? How many of each of those targets did I bring? Exactly. Um, Because a las gun and a bolt gun is more of the anti-infantry thing, so this is all about the guardsman chassis, or even the space marine chassis can get overwhelmed by these pretty easily. Yep. If you're hitting those light-to-medium infantry targets... Uh, you want to be using your most efficient guns. Because this is the other half of what it's about. It's about efficiency. Because mm-hmm. a last gun, thanks to 8th edition, can kill a knight, but it's not really the weapon you want to be killing a knight with. Yeah. <laughs> I, You know, sometimes you shoot him at knights because you have no other target, but oh, yeah, that's a sure. different problem. Yeah, you, you, you don't do. want to be there. You will use them, but if you are thinking, what guns do I need to bring down a knight, your go-to is not, aha, las guns. (laughs) So this is where you start building your saturation, is you pick one or more of these profiles, uh, defensive profiles we should note, and you look at how many of this profile can I bring? And like Shaylin said before, mm-hmm. it's about types. So your Cardifex, your Hive Tyrant, your Exocrine, all your monstrous creatures fall under that same umbrella of the Rhino chassis. Yep. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, if you're trying to bring lots of medium critters, then if you're bringing your Tyranid Warriors, your Raveners, all that sort of thing, those are going to fall under a different category. The Augrin category. Yes. Uh, and those are going to be effective against different guns. A Hive Tyrant is not all that scared of, say, an Autocannon or a Plasma Gun, mm-hmm. but an Augrin is. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they don't tend to have that invuln. They... They suffer all the damage from the multi-wound, but then they also are taking light arms fire. Um, so this is where you have to look at like which of these guns are going to be effective and which of these guns you're expecting to see. Yes, and certain guns uh, are not as efficient 
but insufficient number can overwhelm or take down targets. Oh yeah. In case you need to like cross solution yourself, or it's like, well, I didn't take any medium powered guns, but I do have a redundant extra amount of anti-infantry guns, which can start pinging at those targets. Yes. Um, as you kind of go up through that list, uh, guns tend to get less effective the further away they get. So a gun that's designed to kill knights is going to do absolutely nothing to light infantry, but it's going to be okay against medium vehicles or even those the, the lightweight like Ogren and vehicle sort of tier. Um, but the further away you stray from that, the less effective it'll be. Um, shooting your anti-night guns at a marine, not really very good. And if you're shooting with a guardsman, you're wasting your time. By the same token, if you're shooting those anti-guardsman guns at a knight, what are you even doing? Probably not wounding. And wasting everyone's time. Um, the real key and the real takeaway we want from this first half of the episode is... Figure out what profile you're bringing for saturation, or what profile you're worried about. Because uh, it can go the other way, too. If you're building to beat enemy saturation, you need to have the right guns to take care of them. Exactly. Um, and class the units in your army into those five groups. Figure out where they fall. Usually it's not very hard. Um, you can typically look at just about any unit and say, oh, it it obviously falls into this category. There are a few of the weird ones, like the Custodes, mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, most units fall into one of these categories, and you should be able to look at these and say, am I trying to achieve saturation? Do I have good odds of getting saturation on these different profiles? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a good point to take a quick break. We'll send everyone over to the Quartermaster to get themselves re-equipped and re-armed, and we'll catch you on the backside of the episode. Gamers, are you looking to do conversion of your dreams but just can't find the right bits? Probably because they don't exist? Gaiman with a top hat? Magnus with a pimp cane? Mortarian playing chess? Well, those dreams can become reality with VritaForge, a design and 3D printing studio that can make the bits you've always wanted to happen, happen. VritaForge can be found through Facebook, that's V-R-E-D-A, F-O-R-G-E, like Forge Worlds. Contact her, and she can design custom bits, parts, in any number you desire, from one to a million. Verita Forge. Make all of your wargaming bits dreams come true. Hey everyone, are you looking for great competitive games of Warhammer 40k that you can watch while also donating to a charity for kids in need? If so, you should check out the Charity Hammer 40k Marathon stream, hosted by Best in Faction Podcast and Knights at the Game Table. It will be 48 continuous hours of two separate Twitch streams of some of the best players in the country playing games against each other, including Nick Nonavati, John Lennon, Jeff Robinson, Colin Sherman, myself, and Mitch Pelham, as well as many, many more. And for those who aren't able to watch the games live, as they'll be happening starting on January 4th and continuing all the way through the 5th, 
everything will be archived for those of you who want to come back later and watch for a nominal fee. Beyond just the games, we'll also have interviews, chats, discussions, and just good old-fashioned storytelling, as well as a, perhaps a few games of Beer Hammer for those looking for something a little bit less serious. So please, give whatever you can, and check out and tell your friends about the Charity Hammer 40k Marathon stream, available on both Facebook and elsewhere. And we are back, refreshed and re-equipped. So, let's, let's go ahead and talk about some examples of saturation and how you would achieve that. Josh, what, what would you, your go-to example of uh, a saturation list be? Oh, saturation list. There's, there's a couple out there. I know Tau actually have a tendency to, to throw saturation in that hmm. the, a lot of the lists that I've seen in the, in the current meta... It will revolve around a couple units of broadsides, some riptides, uh, hammerheads. All kind of fill that same role. That that backfield heavy mm-hmm. shooting uh, unit that is going to sit there. It's a hard target, meaning it's hard to kill, and it's going to sit there and it's going to unload guns at range and do what it needs to do and kill stuff. And a lot of talus. I mean, I've seen I've actually seen quite a few at tournaments even recently where it's got literally two or three riptides, a unit of broadsides, or two or three riptides and some hammerheads. And it's just the sheer weight of, of shooting, because they're all kind of doing the same thing, they're just doing it slightly different. The sheer weight of, of range threat that they're dumping at you is just massive, and you're always left ha- you know, scratching your head, right? which one do I deal with first? And that, right, that, by definition, is exactly what threat saturation is, is making you ask that question. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was also going to add on the Tau list is Fire Warrior spam is also... It's a thing we've seen a couple times. People who bring 60, 80, 100, 150 Fire Warriors, that's absolutely infantry saturation. Yes. Yes. Uh, And both of those also exhibit, I think, something that's really important. We often think of, like, threats as melee threats. They don't have to be. Shooting threats are threats, too. Yes. Um, And if you have to deal with all those little guys putting out their Strength 5 or Strength 6 or Strength 8 shots, it can be pretty inconvenient. Yes. And uh, while we're sitting here, the word spam, if you hear someone say, I spammed blank, Right. That means they've saturated it. Typically it does, yes. Uh, a spam list is one that is trying to uh, saturate through things and make it so they have too many targets for you to deal with. Um, people also sometimes use spam in a derogatory fashion, but that's a different subject. People can use any word wrong. Yes. Chilin, do you have any examples of saturation that you think are really kind of prime and relevant these days? Smite saturations from Thousand Suns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit earlier with the Malefic Lords, but it's still around in a different form. Mm Mm-hmm. That's Mortal Wound saturation. Yes. Uh, That can really put people kind of on the back foot with things, because if you're putting out that many Mortal Wounds, uh, and especially 
you know, when you have that many threats that your opponent can't get to, because typically a list like that also has saturation of infantry bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they to are protect bringing, the characters. Exactly. So they are trying to saturate you on several levels. Mm-hmm. Well, and the Tau shooting list will often feature a Fire Warriors thing in the front Yes. to do the same thing. So a lot of li- if the list can saturate two fronts... It is in many ways stronger than a single saturation, I've noticed. It can be. Um, and actually, that's something that's worth going into a little bit, is kind of the the limits of what you can do with saturation. Because you don't always want to bring as much of one thing as it is physically possible to fit into an army. Uh, which I know is something Josh was talking to us about a little bit. Hard to get them all. So hard. It is, uh, but you often don't want to. Like, if you have ten vehicles on the table, is that eleventh one really doing anything for you? Yep. What is the the coin term for that? Diminished return. Yes. Yes. Uh, Diminishing returns are absolutely a thing. Josh is like a master of understanding those. I kind of want to hear his thoughts. People ask me for list ideas or help tweaking their list or working this out. And I am constantly, one of the biggest things that I coach people through is the diminished, the concept of diminished return is, is, is this, well, you know, I've got seven plasma guard squads in my list and I ask them, well, what is the, what is their job? Well, their threat saturation to be, you know, killing targets. And I ask, okay, well, you know, you've used an entire another detachment to get an extra plasma guard squad in there. Is that seventh plasma guard squad really necessary? Is is what it's bringing to the table going to actually make the difference of whether that threat saturation is doing their job or not? And or is it just another body to seal the deal? And if if it is, you have to ask yourself, is it needed? <laughs> is that extra one needed to maintain both the threat saturation? Because again, threat saturation isn't actual, it's perceived. Nine times out of ten, it's more perceived than actually there, because that's what you're after. You're trying to make your opponent make choices. The one thing I have I have strained with so many people that I've taught is the more chances you give you the more choices you give your opponent, the more chances you give them to make a mistake. Yes. I give you more choices, the more chances you have to choose the wrong one. If I don't give you choices, it's less things you have to worry about. I'm making your decisions for you. And so threat saturation fits into that bill. I'm giving you choices. I'm giving you decisions to make. But if I am putting so much of my resources into just doing that threat saturation, what am I losing out in the rest of my list? What am I losing, like board control or uh, deployment control or reserve protection or assault or whatever? There's various other aspects that you may be taking away from just to overemphasize that threat saturation. And you have to ask yourself, at what point am I not getting back what I'm putting into it? That is diminished return, and you and that is a, it's a very fine line. It, with almost every case I've seen, it's a very fine line of okay, well I'm I'm here, I'm good, and it's too much. Yes, and you the, you have to find that line. Once you find it, you will be able to dial your lists in, and you will be able to tweak them into a refined machine. But you got to find that point. And you find that in playtesting. Uh, this is something I actually discovered when I was when I was running back Seraphim not that long ago, is. Ten Seraphim in a squad ran into morale problems. Mm-hmm. Well, it gave me bodies to keep the Meltaguns alive. So ten was too much. Eight 
was the sweet number. Yeah, well, we found that five of them would just die off without really doing a lot. Yeah. And ten, you uh, you could focus too much on them and you lose them, but eight was kind of that sweet spot where they were tough enough to take firepower, but they weren't so much of an investment that they were a problem. And that saved me 22 points. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit on that concept of diminished return here. So how many units of Seraphim did you find yourself running in, in games that you found them to be really competitive? Two was the minimal amount, and three was good because the way my list worked is the third one would come in as part of the second punch and have that redundancy factor. What about four? Why not four? Uh, you uh, couldn't not. physically take four. Yeah, you're, we weren't allowed to take four. So that was why not four. True. <laughs> uh, but we th- that actually was an issue because uh, Shaywin was also running hers alongside the Grey Knights, which were bringing that same sort of tough three-up armor bodies. Interceptors, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, she was using interceptors, um, and also some of you know the various characters and whatnot, of course, as well. That's where a lot of the strength and heavy lifting the list wound up being was right. the characters. Uh, but the relevant thing was she was trying to overwhelm people with infantry, uh, and we found that that forty to fifty bodies was kind of like your minimum threshold for there being enough. Mm. Um, and we could have fit more bodies in, but. Um, at that point, you are giving up other things. Like Josh was saying, Like that's your diminishing returns. Yes. Uh, and this is actually something Shaylin had mentioned uh, in the, the earlier part of uh, th- our discussion as well, I think is really important, is you, you can have saturation, you can have all these threats, but there's still all of the regular jobs that you need to be doing as part of every list. Yes. Every list needs to do. The board control, the scoring, and all of that. Exactly. Um, So you shouldn't ever sacrifice attempts at saturation for performing fundamental list tasks. Well, some lists do. Um, that's true. That's the that's the definition of an unbalanced list. That is a very unbalanced list. And you can do that, but it doesn't always work out. I saw a guy recently who had a list uh, after the new chapter proof changes. He had three bloodthirsters, Magnus and Mortarian. <laughs> and that's the army. And oh, I'd love that list. <laughs> that is an army with exactly one plan. It has achieved its saturation. You can't fit any more big targets like that into that army. It does what it does. But it's very, very good at that one thing. It's mm-hmm. just a question of is that one thing good enough to make up for everything else that it isn't doing? Yes. And a lot of times it isn't. Um, balanced lists are typically going to be better than a list that is oversaturated. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question of what what is oversaturated, you know, when do you go beyond that point into diminishing returns, is not actually inherent to the list itself. It's dependent on what list other people are bringing in the meta. Yes. Because saturation is all about what other people have, and you can't saturate a threat if everyone is building to beat that threat. Yes, it's why I've decided to take a knight out of my list, is because everyone knows how to deal with knights. Yep. Especially, there have been a couple times in 8th edition where knights have been very popular, um, you know, in these last couple of months, as well as much earlier on when the edition was just starting out. And if you were bringing uh, a pure knight list to those kind of things, you did have saturation to a degree, but everyone else was building to beat those knights, and that 
ends up being very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because when everyone is bringing those big guns to kill those big targets, you just can't bring enough of them. Yeah, and and sometimes, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that certain guns are good, certain weapons are good at uh, hitting two rolls because having tools to kill a knight means you also have tools to kill a land raider, really, at the end of the day. Yes, uh, that's sort of that idea of the stage down is, uh, you know, a knight, a gun that kills a knight also kills a rhino in most cases. Yes, so th- there's a lot of, uh, I observed there where if you bring counter-saturation, mm-hmm. uh, it also results in solutions for a lot, for the tear down, basically. Right. Um, the tears on either sides. Uh, like, for example, a silencer is both a good anti-infantry gun and a midweight target gun, and actually does okay against tanks, too, because it's more of the midweight target. Yes, uh, we should point out there are some weapons that are more flexible than others. Yes. A LAS cannon really only kills rhinos, and it can sort of kill those like land speeder class of vehicles, and it can do damage to a knight, but it's not really very good against either of them. No. But some guns have a lot more flexibility. Um... The Blastmaster, carried by Noise Marines, has both a good anti-infantry profile and a good anti-tank profile. Um, Multi-profile guns are super useful here. They really are. Um, And also, guns that have kind of unusual profiles that you don't see very often, like that silencer Shaylin talked about, are very good there, because not only does it get a lot of shots for dealing with infantry, but it also does multiple damage per shot, which helps it against the bigger targets. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's cheap. True. <laughs> and that it also helps as well. So I think that kind of brings us into the the topic of countering saturation. Um, say you roll up against a list that has just a whole lot of one particular thing. How do you set yourself up to deal with that? How do you make those choices, like Josh was saying, that your opponent has given you and not screw up? Josh tossed on something really cool in the last episode uh, that I think we could mention again about basically putting up your army against a third of their list. Yeah. Uh, Don't face down all of the threats they brought. Just face some of them and give yourself time to deal with the others. Um, Josh, do you have any other kind of commentary to add on to that sort of idea? One of my go-tos whenever I fight a saturation list, and 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 I, I want to emphasize this would be more like if I'm if I'm fighting that spam list like we were talking about earlier, where they're really mm-hmm. just emphasizing this one thing and they are just just spamming the crap out of it. It's all over in their list. Uh-huh. What I will do is I will try and isolate. I, I will I will pinpoint what is it. What is the what is the gimmick of that saturation? What is it? What is the one thing it does really really well? Whatever that is, mm-hmm. it's a combat list, all right? It's going to just whale you into assault, or it's a heavy gun line list, or whatever. Whatever it is, it does. And I'm going to find a way to take that away. I don't engage. Don't fight them on their terms. Yeah. I don't fight them on their their whatever they're really good at. I'm going to fight them something else. Even if it's something I'm not really good at, a lot of times, as you mentioned earlier, Sean, balance lists will normally win out in, in, in stronger players because it's not that their list is overly skewed against or, you know, a hard counter against other lists. It's they know how to utilize the parts of their list that are good counters against these lists. And these lists that are very skewed lists, 
they're always inherently, they're really good at one thing, which normally makes them really bad at another. Mm -hmm. And that's what you do. You figure out what their bad thing is, and you play them on those terms. Because invariably, even if it's something your army isn't exceptionally good at, you're probably not as bad as they are at it. Which means you now have the advantage, not them. So force them to fight outside their comfort zone. And the moment you do that, mm-hmm. you took their their threat saturation away from them and turned it against them. Because now you made their, their strength their weakness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, another strategy that I've used myself is uh, against saturation lists, playing a sacrificial game where you're willing to lose units to gain time is often very effective mm-hmm. uh, because, like we said before, they're they're commonly just trying to put so many threats on top of you that you can't deal with them. And if you play a delaying game where you are just sort of scoring mission points but losing all your models, um, you can often just win the mission despite losing almost everything in your army. Mm-hmm. That is very often the way you can deal with something like that. Uh, a way I've used is, this is the style army I play, is I do a precision strike. Where I put that, I can place it in a place where I'm buying myself time. Sure. So that I can do this take them down one at a time systematically tactic mm-hmm. is a way to deal with threat saturations of various like types. Like Josh had mentioned before. Uh, another thing you can do is... Go like an example, like against a Tau gunline list. It's like, well, you can't see and shoot something in most cases. There are exceptions, even Tau have exceptions to that. Right. But if I strip away their strength, as Josh was pointing out, right. these are the tactics you do it. It's like in don't, in don't assault fight. games, back away, make like you know you can concede part of the board as long as you don't concede enough of the board. These are things you are allowed to do. You just have to be actively making choices in this regard. Right. I think another way you can sort of plan to beat these lists is also at the, the list generation step. Yes. Um, where you should be looking at how do I deal with each of these types of targets, and do I have the guns to do them, and do I have some weapons that are flexible enough to deal with more than one kind of targets? Or units that have that are provide multiple solutions. Right. Um because really, if you're not playing a heavily skewed list like this, you do still need to be ready to beat a skewed list. So you should be looking at, how do I deal with this type of saturation? Mm-hmm. And typically, in a given meta, there will be a couple types that are much more common than others. Right now, we're seeing infantry saturation from guard and orcs. We're seeing knight saturation from knights, obviously. Uh, and we're seeing a couple other types of sort of more unusual and skewed ones with, like, grotesques and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you're only seeing a couple different types, and they're all for specific units. Because there's only going to be a few units that are powerful enough that you can use them effectively, but also common enough that you can bring a large number of them. So Mm -hmm. being ready for those couple types of saturated units that you're likely to see in the meta is a very important thing. In the meta we have right now, you just don't see vehicle saturation. No. Rhinos don't live because the Castellan exists. It just sweeps them off the table. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to be ready for that. You're not going to face down... 10 or 12 Rhinos or Lehman Russes. It just doesn't happen. Um, And maybe one person brings that list, but 
you probably don't see it, and even if you do, you can use all the other strategies we told you about. Mm -hmm. um, that you can fight them in a different kind of game than they want to play. Um, yes. So when you're thinking about saturation, think about not just the types of saturation that can occur, but the types that you're likely to see. Yes, very true. Yes, uh, for example, I probably don't have to build to beat a 14 Lehman Rust list. Nope. Not a thing. So, you know, I'm not going to. That's wasting my time. Exactly. Saturation is very, very dependent on the metagame. Mm -hmm. um, and by the same token, if you see something starting to be seen more and more, you can sometimes work against that. Um, recently, we've seen orcs become a lot more popular. Mm -hmm. And probably when the Gene Stealer cult get their books, they will surge in popularity as well. Uh, and, new Codex almost always equals a little bit of at least temporary popularity. Yes. Um, so if people are suddenly bringing a whole lot of infantry to the table because of orcs and guard and tyranids and Gene Stealer cult... Maybe you can start bringing some more heavier targets that those people are not ready to deal with. Mm-hmm. Or bringing solutions to deal with those problems. Grey Knights do do anti-infantry well. Oh, yeah. That is one of the things they do do well. Right. Um, <laughs> you obviously should be ready to deal with those. That is your most fundamental level of sort of an analyzing the meta. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, do either of you have any final thoughts you want to add on saturation and how you deal with it or how you bring it? Shailen? This is uh, just kind of a, a general thing, and I, I like to harp on playtesting a lot, but um, even in the conceptual thing is look at a list try to identify if they've saturated something as an exercise mm -hmm. and going, okay, if I faced it across the table on, let's just say, Adepticon terrain, what do I do yep. as a thought exercise? Because you don't actually have to play a whole game to kind of at least think about what you might do and talk that out. I often just run the math on it. If I mm -hmm. shoot at a list with my guns, how much damage do I do or how much damage do I take on the first turn? And how long can we each keep that up for? Yes. Uh, Sean is a big fan of knowing how well am I against these five types of targets? Yep. And how long can I sustain mm -hmm. if they shoot back? Um, so those are also critical things. And another is, I can't harp on this enough, terrain is remarkably powerful in forcing movement lanes and firing lanes and all that other kind of stuff. So don't be afraid to use it. Yes. Think about, like, they're going to come at me with blank, so if I just keep putting annoying things in the middle there and delaying them, that's good. Yeah, I think we're going to have a whole other episode on sacrificial units, because that's well worth a discussion. Oh yeah, the trade. The art of the trade. Yes. Uh, Josh, do you have anything you want to finish the episode off with us? No, the, the only thing I would definitely just want to remind is a big one, is... Uh, as is in most strategies, just like you know our previous episode of of board control or some of the other uh, uh, examples we've given, one of the best things to always consider whenever you're in a situation where you feel like you're kind of against the wall or you're you, you're on the ropes is find whatever it is your opponent is using to hurt you and figure out a way to take it away. Don't let them keep their advantage, even if it means you aren't aren't getting to use your awesome toy for whatever it was. If it if it's making if it's hurting them more by taking more away from them, then it's better for you. Something to always consider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Always, always fight the enemy on the terms you want, not the terms they want. Exactly. And that's how you set the tempo. And we're back to tempo. <laughs> that is kind of one of the fundamentals there. We are, well, I think, I think we, you know what? I think we're just going to call it right now. Next episode is tempo. Next episode's tempo. I, I like this. I think we have to at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to have. That's okay. Uh, so, uh, thank you very much for everyone who's out there listening to us. If you have enjoyed this episode, if you haven't enjoyed this episode, if you have comments and criticism or critiques, if you want help with a list or something else, you just want to tell us what you love our voices or anything else like that, we'd love to hear from you. We have an email in the finest hour at gmail.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, where we have our Facebook page, In the Finest Hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have our Patreon going. If you would like to give us a little something to support us, because you think we're doing a great job, we certainly wouldn't turn it down. And uh, appreciate it, legitimately. Yep. Uh, a little five bucks a, a month would be a fantastic little thing for us. Help us pay for all the audio equipment and software and everything else we've been buying, uh, because we try to make sure we're using good production values here, and we pay all of the artists who support us and help us make this thing happen. So if you want to throw a little something our way, then you also gain access to a private channel where you can discuss things with us and with other members of our Patreon who've contributed, and maybe talk about the meta, maybe shitpost some 40k memes, depending on what kind of mood you're in. (laughs) Memes are always acceptable. Everyone loves a good meme. Uh, do either of you have anything you want to plug upcoming? No, not for me. I, I think uh, the uh, big ones for me is just kind of keep an eye out for this list service tech we got coming up. That's obviously a good one. And uh, definitely come find us at LVO. I mean, it's coming up right around the corner. And come find us. Bug us. Absolutely. We're uh, going to be matching girls in T-shirts? Yes. Well, I don't think we'd be matching girls. Um, Who says you can't be a girl, Sean? Don't assume my gender. I mean, I say I can't be a girl. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure you have told me your gender, so I don't need to assume anything. So true. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we will be at LVO. We will have fancy-looking shirts and hopefully be standing out, and maybe you'll see our names somewhere up in the rankings. Uh, If you don't catch us there, Shaylin and I will be at that upcoming tournament in Aberdeen, Mm -hmm. and... Possibly one other on the 26th. There's a small one near Portland that we might be hopping up to as well. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, other than that, uh, I'd just like to say thanks to Dank Muse for contributing our intro music and intermission music. He's a great guy, produces some pretty hilarious stuff. You can find him on YouTube or on SoundCloud. Yep. Uh, and Rylan Woodrow for doing the art as he always does. Very faithful. Yep. Contributed some beautiful works for us and been very generous in that respect. Yes. Yep. Tempo next week. Next week we are doing Tempo for sure. And I think to close this out, we're going to try out a new little segment, see how people like it, what they think of things. It's going to be called List of the Week. Uh, This is one I have not told my two co-hosts too much about yet, so it'll be as much a surprise to them as to everyone else. Uh, Each week, one of us is going to be on task to bring a list that we think is new and fun and interesting to the table. Something that really kind of breaks the mold and is either an up-and-comer or just a list you think is really, really neat. 
So I am going to start us off with the list that no one expects, um, using models that are almost never seen. So this is a uh, fun little list that I don't think there's a name for it yet, but uh, it may be the best demon list out there. Ooh. I'm going to go ahead and say now it is, because almost every model in it is a demon, and it actually is Chaos Demon's primary. So, this uh, fun little motorcycle list is starting off with a Slanesh Demon's Brigade. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah, I know, right? How often do you see a brigade? Um, Or Slanesh? Yeah, well, Slanesh is good now, that's what I think. Uh, Two Heralds of Slanesh, a Herald on a Chariot, six squads of ten Daemonettes... Of course. Three individual fiends, three hell flayers, which are the fast attack one, and then three seeker chariots, the heavy support one. Mm-hmm. And then you bring a chaos space marines air wing mm-hmm. with three hell drakes with bale flamers. Of course. And then a thousand suns supreme command with Aramon and his two demon prince buddies. On a disc or not? It doesn't matter. You can bring on a disc. I think you have the points for it, but it doesn't really matter. The The main thing is that he is a melee beater who also casts three spells a turn like a champ. It's yeah. a whole lot of stuff moving forward very, very quickly. You can st- threaten a lot of turn one and two charges. Mm-hmm. Everything's got a five-up invuln. It's got some scoring units to hold the field where it needs to, and a whole lot of smites and other psychic powers. Yeah? No? You know, it's ironic because it actually, that, that list is a prime example of the exact uh, topic of our, our uh, episode today. Yeah. Uh, and that threat saturation, that's literally the point of that list. You've got the Helldrakes that are p- putting forward pressure on the Demon Princes. You can obviously slingshot one of them up with warp time to put forward pressure on, uh, especially because if you really needed to, since you don't really necessarily need the Warlord trait on any of the Sinesh characters, you can give one of the Demon Princes the advance and charge Warlord trait. Mm-hmm. So you can send him up to, at the same time you send the Drakes up, but on the same breath, Yep. that's seven plus chariots all advancing and charging, all with a 14-inch plus movement, plus the fiends. Yeah. So, I mean, the amount of threat overload that you're putting on your opponent, that entire army, I'd say 85% of that army is going to be in combat range, mm-hmm. guaranteed turn two, if your opponent is not ready for it and they don't play correctly, turn one. Because very often, I would actually see that as a beta strike list, not an alpha strike list. Yeah. You actually force your opponent to go first to play into the table, where if they don't play into the table, you're doing exactly what you're going to do anyways. But if they do play into the table, they very easily could be caught off guard by the sheer range. Could be. The threat range that that army can bring to bear as quick as it can. And the best part is, in the ITC setting, almost none of it gives up secondaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is a, a pretty cute little list. So, with that, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed our new segment and the program as a whole. Leave us your comments, and we'll catch you all next week. After I've smited Sean's list off the table. (laughs) Oh no! Tau have no psychic defense! I was referring to the demons, dude. (laughs) Demons have no psychic defense! (laughs) (laughs) Demons have no psychic defense against the Granite Smite spam is gonna happen! Oh, that's great. Alright, good job, everyone. Awesome, guys.
This episode was recorded by the Lady of Titan while playing Regincide against Lord General Creed. It was later edited by her hand after the Commissar's first execution.